Yo, guess what? Hey, Shed. Wait a minute. My daughter just smacked me. She said, no, no, it's called Say Shed Uncuff, this particular episode. And you know what? It's It was a friendly, like, little jab, but um, and it's from my kids. So, you know, of course, they can do kind of whatever they want to you, at least they think. And um, But she's 18 now, so, hmm... You know, it's it's been great. It's been a great ride. K-Shed uncuffed. I have to accept the fact that my firstborn is now 18 and about to go off in her first maiden voyage out into the real world. And I always try to remind her what her grandfather said, always taught us, is that, hey, when you go out to the real world, just know that it's there waiting for you with open arms and arms wide spread. But be careful because on each end of those arms, there's a fist ready to knock the snot out of your nose. So, um, but she knows that. She knows um, kind of how mine and my her mom's uh, philosophies are growing up. She's one fantastic kid. And one thing that I really love about what she's doing is she's watching over her little sister, Miss London, like a, like a big superstar. And I want to say thank you for that. And so without further ado, my podcast, K-Shed Uncuffed, episode 24, is going to be with Mercedes Capri Shadizzle. Go ahead, Mercedes, introduce yourself. Hey, guys. Today, this episode is being taken over by K-Shed Uncuffed. Today is no K-Shed Uncuffed. So it's very nice to be on, on the podcast today and, you know, get a little... A little bit of my story out to the real world. Ooh, whoa, you got a story already? Girl, you're just 18. Huh? Okay, all right. Well, well tell me about this story. I, I remember, I'll let you, well, actually, let me tell my stories first. <laughs> I remember, obviously, when you were a baby, watching you grow up and all that stuff. Out there, to our listeners, uh, everybody kind of knows I was a, a professional football player. But uh, one of my favorite stories is my favorite catch that I ever made was when changing Sayas when she was a baby and I looked away and these babies are so so quick and so you know they move all around and they won't hold still obviously because they don't know that that's what they're supposed to be doing at that moment and so I, as I went to go try to grab the uh, the diaper the, the, the changer she I look again and she's falling off the table and I'm just like oh shoot and without even thinking about it my left hand and I'm not even left-handed I drop all kinds of balls left-handed but for whatever reason it was the only hand I could use and my left hand went down and whop, and caught her by her left butt cheek like right before she was about to go head first into the ground <laughs> I was like gotcha and it was just like it was a happy ending to something that could have been very traumatic and scary and all that stuff but uh man you know those are the type of stories that that sticks with you and uh because you know anytime that something harms your your child it, it hits you very deep so that's going to be hard for me knowing that i won't have direct link into making sure she's safe because she's going to be off on her own so uh you just got done graduating the huh young lady yes i did liberty high school graduate I'm off to oregon state now well, tell me about your uh, high school career. Was it a, a Jeff fun? Yes, I think I was definitely very busy. I was one of the main people that had to take the the lead in our um, senior class, so it was definitely fun, but very stressful on my part. But it it was very memorable, and it was special for me to be the main person to plan all of our events and graduation, prom, all that type of stuff. So it was very nice, especially being part of sports, being on the track team, being on the dance team. So I was just very involved with the school. And I think that made um, high school very memorable for me. 
Wow. So you did a lot of everything. You said you were the class president? Yes, I was. Did you have to campaign and do all that stuff? Unfortunately, I, I didn't have to campaign. It was, it was pretty easy on my part because people knew that I was going to be perfect for the role. <laughs> Wait a minute. You guys, it, you know, right now she's patting herself on the back and I'm just like, uh, you missed the spot. <laughs> so anyway yeah i think i i just am a person where it's like i like i like to go above and beyond and give our class like what they deserve we've worked really hard these past four years in high school and i i guess growing up we always watched disney channel and you know the high school musical movie so i kind of wanted to take the lead and um you know make that high school musical dream come into our reality uh -huh. so uh, from everything I've heard and seen from this past year, I think you hit it right out, out the park with that, too. Um, I remember one of the things that you said for one of your um, uh, your segments that you were going to be presenting to the people who were going to be making the decisions is that you, you wanted all peoples of all colors and uh, genders and uh, backgrounds and whether you're a sports star or band member or whatever, everybody should be treated equally and everybody should be you know welcomed as a family and i thought that was fantastic way to go yes thank you well, yeah where'd you get that mindset from um no i supposed to say you well i mean if you want to eat tonight that's a, probably a good call because i'm making dinner tonight so uh but I, <laughs> give me the real answer <laughs> i know i don't want to put you on the spot like that but i know that a lot of uh, people you know, at your dance studio, at PAC and all that stuff, uh, you know, your aunts, uh, uncles, and, you know, Auntie Simone, Auntie Sherry, everybody. You've had a lot of uh, people who played a very critical role in making you, and of course your mom, obviously, but uh, you've had a lot of people, key people, and uh, play an important role in making you the type of top-notch girl that you are. For sure. I think, um, well, coming from like a biracial uh, young woman, I feel like there was unlimited opportunities you're seeing. You're not just seeing one side, you're seeing like, um, you know, mom's side, whereas she grew up in Utah, where they're pretty religious and... Um, like things one way and they and it's pretty fun down there you know go to the lake seeing that side but then also seeing like um auntie sherry's side of the family like grandma grandpa very like you know traditional very like everyone comes together as a family a lot of memories you know we spent we would stay up really really late play watch you guys play uh dominoes dominoes card card games so that was always fun but i think just like being able to see everyone's point of view made me feel like you know everyone is equal and it is like it is fun seeing different types of opinions and traditions that like families have. So you're saying you haven't seen any type of uh, racial divide or any type of racial targeting uh, towards you? Not necessarily. I mean, there's always going to be comments where it's like, especially as a biracial, it's just like sometimes you'll be called too whitewashed or you'll be called too, too ghetto or, you know, trying to act like, you know what I'm saying? Nope. <laughs> uh, I'm full 100% black. I don't know what you're talking about. I guess, but... No, actually, I'm joking because I've always been considered, even though um, I am 100% black, but my skin tone is has always been considered light skin so everybody's always called or thought of me as mixed when i grew up i was getting called 0.5 <laughs> half breed 
you know, uh, mixed breed, all kinds of names and stuff like that. And then, then you go over to the small town, Iowa cities and stuff. Then you get called the N word and, uh, you know, out here, boy, that type of stuff. But I'll tell you that was back in the eighties and the nineties. If I go back to Iowa now, it has changed a lot. So, you know, it's important that you and I had this type of conversation because young lady, there is no excuse nowadays for anybody to be screaming any type of racial stuff because those days seem to be over with. Um, I mean, obviously racism is still going to be there here and there, but it's nothing as prevalent as it was back when I was growing up. And that definitely doesn't have a hold a candle to how it was when my mom and dad grew up. So right about now is a perfect timing for the, what are you guys, Gen Z's? What the heck is your generation nowadays? Gen Z. Okay, all right, Gen Z's. You guys have no excuses, honestly. This world is at your feet. And, um, you know, I was gonna ask you, yeah, because when you graduated, you I saw you walk down the aisle in your robe and all that stuff, and you had all these different, what are those things called, those satches or those ropes? Cords. Those cords, yeah. Did you have to pay teachers off to get all those or what, what was going on here? No, I told you that I was very involved. I got most of most of my chords came from leadership. Um, another club that's kind of like leadership, but we mainly focus on um, helping freshmen get more involved on campus and feel more comfortable. So that was called Lions Crew. And then, um, let's see, track and field, obviously. Academics and stuff too. Yes, honor roll, um, California State scholarship, um, National Honor Society. So all all those type of things. So yeah. Yeah, guys, you can barely see her head and face with all those dang cords all up on her. And I was just like, I kept looking at my wife and I'm like, are you sure this is my kid here? Because all these academic honor roll type stuff that <laughs> I don't even know. What, I, I wish I had something like that. But man, I was happy to get my D minus so I could even graduate. So, you know, and, you know, it's funny to see the kids grow up and everything and because my mom and dad they did everything in the world for me and you just if you can go back in time there's always those times where you just wish that you would have listened to mom and dad a lot more than you did even though life kind of dictates that you kind of have to go through your own trials and tribulations on your own and um i have to tell y'all uh, this girl has so far done a fantastic job making it through to her number one eight uh, years on this earth. You know, her graduating and then heading off to, where'd you say you're going? Oregon State Beavers. Oh, wow. How, how did you uh, pick up Oregon State? Well, during the beginning of my senior year, we were kind of just like picking and choosing, you know, some schools that I've found interest in. And Oregon State kind of struck, or I've always liked how, I've always liked Oregon but mainly because Twilight was filmed there. Oh, that's my favorite show. But, and it's so beautiful, so I kind of put that on my list. Not thinking anything of it, and then just like diving deep deeper into it and as soon as I applied, I got accepted and offered an academic scholarship. So that was kind of, I was kind of leaning towards Oregon State just because of that too. And then later on in my season, reaching out to some of the coaches and they responded to me and now I'm part of the track team. Nice. What events are you going to be doing out there? Well, we'll see what they put me in. Normally when, once we get there, they kind of sw- switch you around, see what's best for you. But I'm hoping to be part of um, the 400 and 200 meter 
Nice, nice. That was your dad's race, you know. That 400, I mean, it, it was very, very rewarding. But at the end of every race, you just want to just crawl into some type of place and just hibernate for two hours and at least while you catch your breath and you don't want to be dealing with people because everything about that race happens so fast. And people don't know that your body is just not designed to run 400 yards at full speed, but that race kind of demands that you do. You can only kind of run on, on average 250 yards at full speed without like starting to run out of gas. So that's what's so difficult about that race. And I was so glad that you took it on instead of, you know, kind of ignoring it and running from it stuff like some track runners do. You took it on. You're like, hey, what's going on? What did that say to look into? I'm, and you remember the 400. And I remember you the first time you ran it, you, you seemed like you crossed finish line. You were surprised like, whoa, that wasn't that bad. And then you just took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, I mean, definitely it is such a hard race. I Every time I get down into the box before we go, I'm like, why did, why did I even sign up for track, to be honest? Like, why am I even in this position right now? But then as soon as you finish and you continue to get better after every single meet, that just kind of reminds you why, why you're doing it. So Good for you. Good for you. That's a great, great mindset. Um, when you go off... Uh, to Oregon State, what are you what are you going to major in? Um, the major that I plan to be in is sociology. Wait, you gonna be a cop? <laughs> I mean, you could you could go a whole bunch of ways with sociology major. Really? Okay. But are you gonna be a cop? I mean, we'll see where the where where the wind takes me. I've definitely found interest in it because of you and Grandpa. Aw, that's right. Grandpa was the first black cop in Davenport, Iowa, y'all and yep. carried that off to me. <laughs> he told me this one time, he was kind of hurt, but he laughed it off. But foot patrolling down there in downtown uh, Davenport, and so a car drove up and said, dang, man, who burnt the bacon? <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> that was, he laughed because that was actually kind of creative and kind of funny and all that stuff. But he made such an impression on those kids uh, even in the south south side of I, uh, Davenport, Iowa. So the south side is, it's the reverse. It's, you know, normally the south side is where like the, you know, mostly black uh, folk live. But um, the south side here in Davenport is where the, like the, like the rednecks and the hicks live and stuff like that. So anytime you go down there, that's, that's kind of what you have to deal with. So, um, that's where he was saying that um, most of the people who had like these these looks or these these nasty vibes towards them were on the south side of Davenport. But after a while, people started noticing and knowing what type of great man this guy was, and he didn't he didn't play any bias whatsoever. He literally was there to help these kids out. And by the time that his career kind of started easing up in the, or getting up there in the years, I was getting pulled aside by so many different people. You know, even from the people from the South Side who were saying, your dad was awesome. He helped me out so many different ways. And, you know, it's a credit. And so that's one of the main reasons why I had to step in, into the law enforcement world, because I had to see for myself. And I, I have to tell you, Mercedes, I was pleasantly surprised. Surprised that I chose that major? Oh, I was presently surprised by what I saw in law enforcement. Oh, why were you surprised? Yeah, just because of just, there's no real, there's no limits to what a uh, an individual can do to help out the society that they're tasked to protect and kind of watch over. You know, I mean, every day it's a new script. 
And every day you have the opportunity to affect someone's life in a positive way. And it really is about, you know, you really, if you so choose to take on that task, you know, it's very rewarding, but it's, but it's a difficult job. Have you ever had any uh, interaction with police? I have. Yeah. Tell me about it. It's always, it's always dumb teenagers that get into it with the police. So, but my interaction wasn't that bad. It's, you know, those always those high school parties and the cops show up and, you know, they interrogate you just trying to get something out of you. Yeah. So this one particular time I was driving my friends, I was DD for the night and my two friends in the car, obviously are under the influence because no, no wonder I'm DD. Anyways, they're under the influence and, um, we're just getting into the car after the party gets shut down and, um, the cops like come up to the car and are asking us, you know, the party is done, you guys gotta go. To them, you know, I start to pull away. Mind you, I'm driving someone else's car because um, I did not have my car. Yeah. So I'm driving the car and apparently my friend's taillight was out. So then he he pulled us over again. And it was like, you guys, did, did you know that your taillight was out? And I'm like, no, no, I had no idea. And then he's like, is anyone under the influence in the car? I was like, not me. Nice. And then he was like, okay, just drive, just drive away. Woo! That was my only interview with the car, with the cops. Okay. Hey, that's a fantastic story. You know, I mean, you remain poised and uh, throughout it all, sounds like, right? And you were a designated driver. And your job was to get people home safe. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of the times when I was growing up, I would complain about police, you know, stopping me here and there or whatever. But in reality, they were stopping me because I was going like 100 plus (laughs) down the road and doing everything wrong. So cops really aren't out there to jam people up per se. There definitely are like your like 5%, maybe 10% now. Uh, bad apples out there who are targeting uh, people here and there. But for the most part, and that's what I saw when I was training uh, the new officers, is is that you just watch them and kind of just sit back and watch how they are when they're kind of, you let them kind of go off on their own. And their heart is pure, you know, Uh, it really is. So uh, I'm happy that that happened. I think everybody should have some type of interactions with the police to see for themselves and then make their decisions. Uh, you know, and I always say if they feel like they're being targeted or being unfairly treated, just freaking just say, okay, officer, thank you, whatever, and then file a complaint. It's super easy. So I'm glad that you had that opportunity to, to experience that. For sure. You know, so you remember that picture that me and you took? You, you were a baby and um, I was in my police uniform and oh, it's, yes. Yeah, and um, Sayus is like, you know, nine months or whatever, just like super young. And then it's a great picture because I'm holding her and behind us is a American flag. So, you know, I mean, you have a black officer standing proud in front of a United States flag holding his young daughter and just like this glow about himself. And she has this like adorable little smile and giggle about herself. You know, that's a symbol of how far everything has gone in this world. And um, I will remember all that uh, as, as one of my favorite moments and memories as being a police officer. You know, everybody knows I was a police officer for 20 years. And, um, you know, part of me thinks, do I want my daughter to go off and be a police officer? 
And then, you know, other times I say, I don't know, it's getting kind of dangerous and stuff. Uh, so one of the things I'm always checking on her with is uh, I'll send her videos here and there and see what she thinks. So the other day I, I sent her this video and it's the hot topic right now of this uh, uh, black male who I can't I can't remember what city I want to guess and I want to say Seattle, but I might be wrong. But um, but regardless, uh, these uh, white officers get sent to this call where there's a disturbance, uh, like a verbal disturbance, disturbance between two homeless people. And um, when they get there, they start talking to both sides. They talk to the female half first, and then they make contact with the male half. And then things just went downhill from there. And it's, if you watch the video, I try to pinpoint where exactly did it go wrong. But in the end, the, the, the guy that they made contact with ended up jumping into the water, into the river in front of them, and then he drowned. So I showed Mercedes that video and I asked her, I wanted her to tell me what she thought about it. So uh, have you had time to kind of reflect on that video, say? Yeah, so I think we should tell a little bit more detail about what happened in the video. Okay, so basically what I analyzed from the video is, you know, where the first thing um, that happens is they're talking to, well, it looks like a couple, couple that is homeless uh, broke out into an argument and then they kind of separated from each other. The woman is on one side. So then they go on and talk to her and she's saying she's very much not in the right headspace. She's not speaking correctly. She's on, you could tell she's on drugs. She's not um, here, like she's not here presently. So she's kind of just mumbling and like answering their questions every now and th- now and again. She, they're asking her like where they're staying. She's saying like not normally. We don't normally stay here. Anyways, what she has to say kind of doesn't really help them in the long run. So they move on to the to the man and they're asking him like you know what happened. Where do you guys normally stay? Uh, um, he and they're kind of just like nonchalant acid very calm which you think in in the video it's like obviously you want like um to approach people calmly nowadays because once you approach with force then they get all hostile and then um something good point something hostile will break loose so they kind of are just taking it easy being very calm with him and he's talking about how he has like liver problems and he can't get up and move and do do what they're asking him. Um, so it sounds so then, like, like a like a consensual type encounter. There's no real, you know, crime or anything like that. Yeah, it doesn't seem in the video. There's like no harm. I think someone made my. I have just called for like you know. There's these people that are staying here overnight. They can't be here type of thing. Which yeah, it's a simple like you can't stay here and then move along. So they're not really too worried about there being any threat so they're kind of just having simple conversation with him and then a little bit further along in the video he he starts to hop this fence to get into the water that's like by the bridge so he's trying to like get into the water which the police officers are kind of just watching it and it's like can't get into the water nonchalant just like leaning over the fence telling him you can't get into the water no real no real help or like kind of trying to resist him. He's kind of just doing his own thing and they're just watching it. So he gets, ends up getting into the water and from there, from then on he gets stuck and he ends up drowning. Really? That's awful. Yeah. That's awful. Uh, uh, wow. Um, so fast forward 
uh, that happened maybe last year and around that time. And um, I remember seeing that video when it came out, because obviously it was a hot topic at that time. And I knew for a fact that obviously it was going to turn into a lawsuit. And um, I didn't know exactly what was going to happen discipline wise to the police officers. But there was going to be an investigation. And then so here we are now. And the lawsuit, I believe it's like $10 million or something like that is taking place right now. There uh, other investigative groups are looking into the situation and people are trying to uh, watch the video and analyze the, you know, the experts are trying to analyze what went wrong or what the cops could have done differently. What was their role? Were they legally bound to go after this uh, officer or this uh, citizen? and save him because uh, the video, in the video, the wife pleading with them to save the guy, he gets caught in like a thing of weeds or something like that inside the uh, river. And then he's struggling. Now he's asking and yelling out to the officers to help him. And at no point do any of the officers do anything to try to help him other than uh, I think they place a call to their dispatch to try to get an emergency rescue boat on the way. But but the whole time they're really just sitting there watching this guy drown. And it's um, when I when it was when this case first came out, there was live video wasn't censored or anything like that. So you literally can watch this guy struggling and going up and then he's going under the surface, going up and he's yelling out. And then you can literally watch this guy as sad as it sounds, as bad as it sounds. You can literally watch the video and he drowns in front of your, your eyes. Um, now you have to really kind of Google and search and stuff to find those type of videos because it's turned into such a just a federal situation now where all these organizations are looking into it, human rights violations and stuff. And, you know, so now these videos aren't as easily accessible. But the bottom line is, and I always I've been asking Sayus this, is that um, there's a consensus that comes back to the police officers were not bound by any statute to go in and risk their life to try to save this guy you know uh what do you think about that say i mean yeah i i understand like they're you weren't police officers aren't, aren't trained to you know hop into the water swim out there and go get him but it's kind of just like i think it's a personal it's like you personally you're watching someone struggle in the water which you know the water is something that you shouldn't mess with and especially you just heard this guy say you know i have liver problems which obviously he dug his own hole he did it to himself he went into the water he chose to go into the water he chose to swim out there and knowing knowing that he wasn't probably healthy enough or experienced enough to go do that but i think it's kind of heartbreaking to just sit sit there and just watch someone die because you didn't want to just hop in the water and go pull them out i mean police officers yes their their job is i mean it's not their job to go into the water and save them but it's also their job to protect people and save people's lives so um, me personally, I couldn't just sit there and watch someone die in front of my eyes when I know that I'm full capable, I, I have full capability of going out there and swimming and being able to save them, no matter if they dug their own hole or not. Or, or if they, if they're suicidal and the possibility of them trying to kill themselves and then they take you down with them. I think that's when you have to kind of work as a team. Okay. I love it. Go, go, go. I love it. So, <laughs> I so mean, you, go, you would have somebody go out there with you, right? One of your other officers go out there with you. Yeah. I don't think it, it would be safe. I mean, you said that there was about what, like four police there officers. Was, on. Yeah. Yeah. There was at least four that I saw. So then, 
there's no excuse like you could have brought someone with you and there's no way that guy is taking both of you guys down that's good that's a great point um you know uh there's a story that i'm very proud of because i work with a guy named louis gillen at san leandro police who they he gets a call one night of a car that went over the marina if you're familiar with, if you guys are familiar with San Leandro, a marina area sits off the bay, right across the bay is San Francisco from San Leandro. And, but it's, it's a beacon for drunk people who are going to the restaurant, El Torito, yes. So they'll go to El Torito and sometimes they're not paying attention and they'll fly over the barrier uh, log that <laughs> goes from the parking lot into the bay. And then now all of a sudden they're into the water. And, you know, in, th in this particular case, the person, went into the water and it's dark. Uh, I think it was it was nighttime. But anyway, the the car was way out there, right? So uh, Louis was one of the first ones to respond. And when he gets there, without even thinking, he takes off all his, takes his uniform top off, his vest, all the stuff that could obviously weigh him down. You know, he strips down to pretty much his underwear, takes his shoes off, boots, all that stuff. And he goes into the water and he helps save this person in that car. So- right. If you, you know, I know the experts say as quickly as possible to, you know, to protect the, the officers who are in question right now, uh, that it's, they're not legally bound because they're not trained for uh, water rescues. But then you, you know, a guy like me who's been on the officer for 20 plus years and you work with people who are so selfless, they, Louis didn't even think about it. He was confident in his uh, ability to swim, and I don't even think that if if he w even if he wasn't the best swimmer, he still would have done the same thing. So it's hard to balance this thing because there's officers out there who would go into that water without even giving a second thought. Then you have these officers who were so callous and said, "I'm not going in there," and it shows on video. So it's a tough one. In the end, the officers are going to lose. And they are going to pay the price for this. The city is going to have to pay a lot of money. And now this homeless woman is going to have to go the rest of her life without her husband. So in my eyes, you know, if someone would have taken the, the uh, initiative to gain control over the situation from the very beginning, when you're making contact with this guy and he like starts acting up and he wants to stand up and like, wait a minute here, dude, you need to sit down. And he's like, no, my liver's hurting. I'm like, okay, well, you can stand there, but then I'm going to have to put my cuffs on you or you're going you're gonna to have to go back over by the car or something. That's how you gain control over these situations. So, you you know, if you're making contact with the person and you have the legal right to be there, you have to start taking control over the situation so the person can't just, like, hop a fence and then go down by the water. You can't let that happen. So... Um, there's preventative measures that should have been taken in my eyes that, that wouldn't even have gotten to that point where this dude's even in the water. So your degree, like you said, is going to take you all kinds of different routes, Ms. Mercedes Capri. And you could be a lawyer, you could be a social worker, you could be a therapist, you could be a police officer, you could be a teacher. I mean, you know, I, I'm going down the line because you pick one heck of a great major and I'm... I'm excited to see where it takes you. Uh, but just know if you do go follow your dad's lead, who followed his dad's lead, this is one heck of a hard job to take on. But uh, the girl that I've seen grow up in front of my eyes, I think is would be well off and uh, ready to shine in that role. So, you know, anything that you wanted to uh, kind of say to our young listeners before we wrap everything up? Um, Just t targeting like people my age. Okay. 
Mercedes closes episode 24. Go. All I gotta say is things may be hard in the moment and you may overthink it and think it's like too much of a struggle, but it will pay off in the end. So keep working hard in whatever you find you're passionate in. I love it, baby. I'm proud of you, honey. Thank you, Dad. Say Shed Uncuffed, episode 24 is out. out. <laughs>